You're listening to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. I am glad that you are hanging out with us because each week I invite a guest onto the show to talk about a topic that is meant to be a catalyst for growth in our lives, to spark ideas, get unstuck, and gain new insights that compel us to action as we journey together to play full out and live fully into who we were created to be. And thanks for rating this podcast and sharing it with your friends. Well, I'm super excited about today's show because I've invited Dr. Julie Slattery to talk about her six-week study for single women, Sex and the Single Girl. We're going to talk about why sexuality matters, the battles and temptations we face, and what it means to embrace God's design for our sexuality. Now, if you're married and you're tuning in, Do not tune out because you most likely have single women in your life and you can have a huge positive impact on them as you come alongside them in their sexual struggles. So stay tuned for this conversation. A little bit about Julie. She is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and the president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy, which is a unique teaching ministry devoted to sexual discipleship which is teaching on God's design for intimacy and sexuality. Julie earned her degree at Wheaton College, an MA in psychology from Biola University, an MS, and a doctorate degree in clinical psychology from Florida Institute of Technology. And Julie also, from 2008 to 2012, served at Focus on the Family, writing, teaching, and co-hosting the Daily Focus on the Family broadcast. And in 2012 is when she left to pursue starting the Authentic Intimacy Ministry. She's the author of 10 books, the host of the weekly radio program in her own podcast, Java with Julie, and also a member of the board of trustees for Moody Bible Institute. Julie and her husband, Mike, are parents of three sons, and they currently live in Colorado Springs. Julie, welcome to the show. It's so good to be with you, Lisa. It's good to be with you. And I'm just like, wow, girl, you have just accomplished a lot in your lifetime. Let me tell you, as I'm reading that, I'm like, dang, you got it going on. I don't I don't feel that way. You <laughs> it's do. Just, it's just one day at a time. It really is. So one season at a, at a time. Yeah, you, yeah, it usually is. And I'm just, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier. Gosh, the last time I saw you was, I don't know, it was in Colorado Springs. I actually was on your podcast, you Java were. with Julie, and it was yeah. so fun. Yeah. You and Linda hanging out in the coffee uh-huh. shop. Yeah, I met you right when we were launching Authentic Intimacy. So we had one of our first uh, events at your church, um, and right. that podcast episode was probably one of our maybe first 15 or 20. So it's fun to reconnect with you after a few years and yeah. figured out more of what God's called us to do. So that's cool. Right. What What's one thing you're excited about ministry-wise these days? Mm, well, um, I have a book coming out in a few months that I'm really excited about, and it's a different book than I've written before. Uh, it's really more uh, kind of challenging Christian thought on the topic of sexuality. So less addressing one issue and more, let's challenge the paradigm for how we've been addressing sexual issues. So it's written to like leaders and parents. And so that's kind of a new audience for our ministry. Wow. That's exciting. Now, one of the things I was thinking about is you've dedicated a lot of your work and writing to teaching women how to reclaim God's design for intimacy. And I'm just curious, how, where did your passion come for these, for this topic? And yeah, how did you, how did this become your mission? Well, well, I think, you know, if you were to ask me maybe 10, 15 years ago about, hey, would you come and speak on sexuality? 
I, I did that every now and then. I wrote a book on sex for marriage called No More Headaches. Like, I don't, it feels like another lifetime ago. <laughs> but I did that sort of teaching and writing as part of a larger calling uh, to minister to women, uh, talk about marriage, talk about family issues. And that was like one of those topics you just kind of have to cover mm. because it's such a central part of a woman's life. But in 2012, all that changed. Um, God took me through a very deep season and just spiritually with him and through the course of a year literally just burdened my heart for the brokenness around sexuality wow. and uh, that's when I left focus on the family which was really my dream job hmm. but God just put such a call on my heart that I couldn't say no to it so uh, since then basically that's been my primary focus is uh, really studying the scripture, applying the psychology background that I have in terms of addressing all issues around sexuality. So it's quite a challenge. Wow. I can't even imagine like immersing yourself in that for as long as you have. And 10, well, how many of your books are on actually the... On sexuality? I yeah. think seven of them. Seven, seven of the 10. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So my kids are like, really? Another book on sex? Mom? I know. I mean, it's like, what does your mom do for a living? Well. Yeah. It's pretty awkward for three boys. What, yeah. What are her books on? Well. <laughs> let's change the subject. I know, right? <laughs> well, let's talk about your study, Sex and the Single Girl. Uh, I love this study. And, and by the way, you guys, if you haven't done it, I highly recommend that you grab this and do it with some of your girlfriends or maybe do it with your, your small group. And one of the things that you say in very in the very beginning of the studies, you say that sexuality is a spiritual battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me a little bit more. Like, what t- what what does that mean? Yeah, I think you know most women will at some level resonate with that because they know that uh, they struggle with temptation or shame. Um, but I think there's even a bigger picture when you recognize that sexuality is really a sacred, holy metaphor. And that's a big part of what I unpack in Sex and the Single Girls, understanding the spiritual significance of sexuality. When you get that, you start to realize that there's nothing that Satan wants to destroy more in our lives than the connection between our sexuality and understanding what it's supposed to be teaching us about intimacy and about God. Um, So we see in all of our lives, it doesn't matter how you grew up, Every single one of us, I think, is engaged in a very real battle around sexuality. And that represents itself differently in different women. Um, Your struggle might be different than mine, but the reality is we're all facing that. And so when you start to think of it as actually a spiritual battle and spiritual ground, we approach it differently. Mm -hmm. And then you, and I want to talk a little bit about um, the the fact that you call um, sex is a brilliant metaphor for a profound truth. So I want to mm-hmm. unpack that in just a minute here. But in the in the very beginning of your study as well, you ask readers to reflect on where they got their opinions about sexuality mm-hmm. and what percentage you actually have us figure out like what percentage of our thinking came from about sex came from our parents. What percentage of what we think about our sexuality came from religion and what percentage came from media. Why was that an important question for women to reflect on right out of the gate? Well, because I think when you really spend time looking at that, you'll realize that even if you were raised in the church or in a Christian home, you were probably taught more about your sexuality from the culture. 
because traditionally the church and the family haven't talked about sex. Mm. Uh, it's just been kind of this hush-hush topic, and maybe you remember a youth retreat where they told you save sex for marriage, and that was pretty much all you got. But in terms of how to process through uh, the sexual drives and desires you have, you know, how to work through sexual abuse and trauma, uh, even how to work through the shame of making mistakes in the past. Mm-hmm. Like the church really doesn't touch on those things and you're really not allowed to talk to your parents about those things, unfortunately. Yeah. So what fills in the gaps is really what we're hearing from uh, the mainstream culture in terms of uh, what we absorb in terms of the purpose of our sexuality. So when I teach women on sexuality in a church setting, I rarely meet a woman who has a a deep understanding of God's design for her sexuality. Mm. Uh, Even if she's done like every Bible study, you know, all the K. Arthur and Beth Moore, and she knows her Bible, she usually hasn't been trained in how to think about her sexuality from a biblical perspective. Yeah, and it's a really good point, and I, I think it's something so critical that we have an awakening or awareness to of where where is my view of my sexuality and sex where is it coming from and mm-hmm. that a, a lot of it is from media it's it's like we're we're absorbing the cultural norms rather than what god's word says and why why he designed our sexuality the way that he did yeah uh, i grew up in a christian family and in a church and went to christian college but I really received very little teaching about sexuality. And I didn't realize that until way into adulthood when I was needing to wrestle through things personally and also helping other women wrestle through things. I didn't know where my compass was. Mm. And uh, again, the culture is so loud in teaching us how to think about sexuality um, that we naturally just adopt that. Um, so like one of the, the distinctions is that at best... The church has taught us how, like, what to think about sexuality mm-hmm. in terms of certain issues. Like, maybe the church is addressing if sex outside of marriage is right or wrong, or addressing, um, you know, cultural issues like LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. But the world has trained us how to think about sexuality, mm. uh, like how how to process things. And so, you know, that's a big passion of mine is just really training Christians and how to think through sexual issues from a biblical perspective. So what are some of the kind of common um, beliefs that women have about sexuality that do not align with God's design? Well, um, really to, um, to what I call narratives, because I think narratives are much more powerful than beliefs. Mm. Uh, you know, like the Bible says such and such and such. A narrative is a story that helps you make sense of your sexuality. Um, so there's the cultural narrative, which says that your sexuality is primarily for your own self-expression, your identity. Uh, it's how you connect with other people. Uh, and so you should experience a lot of freedom in your sexuality. That's how you become healthy is by trying different things on. And and if you feel like having sex with someone, go ahead. Don't ever feel guilty Mm. about that. And we're getting inundated with that narrative. And it's really, Lisa, it's a compelling narrative. Uh, It helps us make sense of things. And then you have sort of the traditional church narrative, which I call the purity narrative. And the purity narrative says that uh, you are sexual only so that you can get married someday. And if you're not married, then not only should you not be having sex, you shouldn't be sexual. You shouldn't have desires or drives. 
the highest goal you have as a Christian woman is to be a virgin when mm. you get married. And you should get married someday. Because if you stay pure, someday God's going to bring this wonderful man and all your desires will be fulfilled sexually. Um, but if you've made mistakes, then God still loves you. He has a plan B for you. Uh, and so this is sort of the narrative that I think if you grew up in the church, you've learned to apply to your sexuality. And the problem with that narrative is, first of all, it, it's really not biblically based. It's more tradition. But also, it doesn't help us make sense of the things that we wrestle with. Um, for example, you know, I know that this is something that you wrestle with, Lisa. It's like, Where's Prince Charming? Hmm. You know, if I've been faithful to God, where's this guy that I was promised? Uh, and, you know, what do I do with my sexual drives and longings as a single woman? Uh, you know, I've been hanging on for a long time. There's got to be a purpose to my sexuality beyond just I'm going to get married someday. Uh, or even some of the things that women are wrestling with today uh, with same-sex attraction, with gender confusion, the purity narrative doesn't address any of those things, which is why we tend to just go to the cultural narrative because it makes more sense for us. Hmm. And one of the things that you talk about in your study is this idea that God created us as sexual beings. Yeah. And when I think of that, and you actually had asked me a question about this a couple of years ago, and I was completely stumped. You asked, you asked me a question along the lines of, how, how can you... How can you still, like, you are a sexual being, so what does it mean to be a sexual being as a single woman? And I still don't have the answer, so I've waited, what, four years to get the answer from you. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we had to talk about that. So we were created yeah. as sexual beings. So how how is a single woman, you know, how, how do we, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think in our day and age, we equate our sexuality and even intimacy with being sexually active. You know, that kind of checks all those boxes for us, the way we define things. And so if you say, I'm really um, becoming intimate with this guy, what, what's the first thing you think of? That must mean that you're having sex, um, because that's the only category we have for that. Whereas if we look at not only the Bible and how God created us, but also when we look at psychology, there's so many different kinds of intimacy. Uh, and also... With our sexuality, it's not just about being sexually active. Our sexuality encompasses uh, our gender. It encompasses, uh, as a woman, our desire to nurture. And most importantly, our desire to connect deeply with other people. Uh, and so one fulfillment of that is definitely the covenant of marriage. That's a huge part of why God created us to be sexual people. But that's not the only reason, um, because there are intimate relationships and connections and uh, just parts of our longings that are not going to be fulfilled in marriage, even if you're married. Mm. Uh, you know, there's there's something beyond that that our sexuality is pointing to. Yeah, and that's a really good point, too. And I, I even have my married friends, you know, as you're single, you think, oh, my life's going to be so much better when I'm married, and I can't wait to have sex. And then, like, that isn't the end-all, be-all either. We can't, no. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, talk to 10 Christian married women, yeah. and maybe two of them will say, yeah, sex is really great in my marriage, and the other eight will tell you why it's not so great and uh, why marriage itself is really a struggle for them. And so uh, when we set up marriage as the only reason why we're sexual and the ultimate fulfillment of our sexuality, we're really missing something that's more profound in terms of why God designed us to be sexual. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that and then kind of unpack when you describe sex as a brilliant metaphor for a profound truth. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you know, I would ask the question for you just to kind of think, uh, why did God create us as sexual people? Um, and again, if you're just you know, defaulting back to that, to that purity narrative, you're going to be like marriage, hmm. you know, so we could have babies and populate the earth. And yeah, that's definitely an aspect of it, but it's not the most important aspect or reason why God created us as sexual people. Uh, I really believe the most profound reason why God created us to be sexual people is because uh, everything that he created on earth is a physical thing that teaches us about a spiritual truth. Um, so as you read the scripture, you see all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the writers of the scripture using physical things to teach spiritual truths. Um, so we have examples of trees and stars and mountains and water. Uh, we have relationships like a father and son. You know, all these things teach us something about who God is and our relationship to him. And the most profound picture or metaphor in scripture to teach us about God is the metaphor of marriage and sexuality. Uh, we see that from Genesis all the way through Revelation, that, uh, that all kinds of sexual aspects of who we are is connected with something about God, his love, his passion, and his faithfulness. Uh, and so uh, John Piper put it this way. He said, the primary reason why we are sexual is to make God more deeply knowable. Um, which is one of those things that if you've never heard that, you just have to sit and think on it for a while. And so what do you say to someone who is single and says, well, I guess I can't know God as intimately because I don't get to experience that level of physical intimacy? Yeah, I would say um, that some people would argue that you can actually know God even more intimately because um, let's remember that, that the sexual longings we have and that desire to be somebody's mm. uh, is, is a physical way here on earth that we participate in a metaphor, uh, the metaphor of wanting to be somebody's, mm. wanting to be loved deeply, wanting to be chosen. And marriage is just the metaphor for the bigger that idea that you're somebody's, that you're chosen, that you're beloved, uh, that we have a God who's passionate for us. Uh, and not just that he's passionate for us, but he's made a covenant promise to us. And a covenant promise means it's not a contract. It's not, hey, I'll hang around with you as long as we're happy together. It's I'm with you to the end of time, which is the most profound promise that God has made to his people, his faithfulness, mm. uh, his love for them. And so God created sexuality and marriage as a way of us experiencing that. But let's remember that it's just the picture. It's not the real thing, which is why people get so disappointed when they think all their longings will be fulfilled in marriage. So like as a single woman, and I would say as many married women feel still lonely or unfulfilled, um, you know, I, I tell my, my sons who are late teens, early adults now, wow. well, you know, wow. one of the things that I tell them is I want you to remember that the longings you have are God's reminder to you that you are not meant to be alone. And it, like putting in context that your longing as a, a man or a woman is a reminder to you that you are meant to be in relationship, but not just here on earth. And when we look at um, pieces of scripture, like for example, the Psalms, mm -hmm. uh, we, we hear the psalmist with this yearning for the presence of God. 
uh, like my heart, my fr- my flesh cry out to you, oh God, which is kind of like the longings and yearnings of a single woman. Like, I'm so lonely. My heart, my flesh are crying out for intimacy. That ultimately is supposed to be speaking to the fact that we were never created to live this life without intimacy with God. Um, so a lot of people would say, Lisa, that in some ways, and the Apostle Paul even said this, that when you are in a state of singleness, you are actually positioned to have deeper intimacy with God because you are putting those longings towards spiritual connection with him instead of just getting distracted with, I've got to figure out how to love my husband. Mm-hmm. Which I would say probably for a lot of single women is hard to wrap their minds around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It sounds, It's. I mean, it, it makes sense and it's it's very biblical. And I know I've talked to so many women who just... Well, they have the desire to be in relationship. And as you said, we were created for that. And we, yeah. we do live in a broken, fallen world. And so the, uh, this side of heaven, all of our longings will not be met, which no. is an unfortunate... It's unfortunate that the fall happened because there's consequences to that. But we, we, but we live in that mm-hmm. unfulf- unfulfilled longings. Right. Yeah. Um, and some of it is also recognizing that in our society... Uh, I think even within our church culture, we have set marriage up to be the fulfillment of all our relational needs, not just our sexual needs. Um, but you know, if you look at the way most churches are structured, the marriage department is like gets all these resources, and you know, it's mm. so focused on marriage. And even single groups, you know, are more like let's get you ready for marriage, mm-hmm. or let's put you somewhere until you get married instead of really recognizing that marriage again is important, but it's not the all in all. And that actually the church and community and family should be, uh, should be meeting a lot of those relational intimate needs. Um, and so we live in this culture where again, it's like, if you're lonely, the only answer is to get married instead of how about developing uh, rich community that really looks like the body of Christ? Um, because we look at you know the men that we respect in the Scripture and the women we respect in Scripture, and marriage really isn't highlighted that much. You know, David, who had several wives, right. essentially said that Jonathan was a deeper connection for him, hmm. was a more intimate relationship with him than any of his wives. Uh, or the Apostle Paul, a lot of people believe that at one point he was married, um, but in his ministry, he actually was like, I don't want to be married, and I don't think you should want to be married either because there's much more to do, and there's there's rich relationship and ministry. Um, so I think some of this is challenging how we've set marriage up as the answer for everything. Mm-hmm. How how would you say that uh, sexuality, as it relates to our spirituality, one of the things you talk about as well in the studies, that you can't separate your sexuality from your spirituality. And especially for listeners who may be listening in and maybe they're caught up in the, the world, world's view of, of sexuality and and not you know, living it within God's uh, design for them. Like how, how, would, you, how would you share uh, with them that, you know, sexuality and spirituality really, they they can't be separated. Yeah. Well, this is a theme that we can see in the scripture. Uh, You know, a good passage to study would be 1 Corinthians 6, um, because Paul there starts talking about how really what you eat doesn't matter. Um, You know, like you're going to eat a donut, you're going to eat celery, either way, it's going to pass through your body and it doesn't matter. He says, but 
what you do with your body sexually really does matter. And this is actually the chapter where Paul says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Most people think that he's referring to food and exercise, but actually he's saying, no, this isn't about food. This is about the fact uh, that whatever you do with yourself sexually uh, has spiritual implications. Uh, so, so honor God with your body. And uh, so Paul understood this mystery that you can never separate the sexual from the spiritual. Uh, I think one of the enemy's greatest lies to us is that you can separate them. You know, with the hookup culture, with mm. pornography, like you can you can do sexual things as if you're choosing what to wear that day or what to eat that day, and it has no consequences. Um, but in your heart of heart, you know that's not true. Yeah. Um, because I I talk to thousands of women who tell me stories of of choices they've made, things that have been done to them, and they'll tell me about the lasting impact uh, of of those experiences. And you think about, for example you know, a three-minute experience of being date-raped. Mm. And a woman 30 years later will talk about how she's never been the same. Mm. Uh, why is that? Because something at the core of who she is as a person, as a spiritual being, has been impacted. Yeah. Uh, and we can look at even now as we understand more about the neurology of sex, that uh, that sexual activity just imprints on our brain in a different way. Uh, and so... You know, we even with research, secular, secular research, it's proving that sexuality really is profound and can't be separated, as if it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And what would you? Because I, I get, I get this uh, a lot, and I, I know how I respond to it. But people saying, you know what, the the Bible is just like that was written. People got married when they're fourteen. It's like just outdated. Well, first and foremost, the Bible's not outdated; it's everlasting. But how, how do you respond to that? Where it's like, you know, it's. It's impossible to keep the quote-unquote standards that God had for sexuality these days. Yeah, um, well, good question. You know, I think, first of all, we've got to acknowledge the reality of the times we live in and that it does make uh, sexual integrity way more difficult. Mm. Uh, when you look at the fact that in the biblical times, people did become sexually mature at like the age of 15 or 16 and they got married a year or two later, that was a lot healthier of a culture uh, than what we have today with, uh, with again, you know, just the hookup culture, with being exposed to things very early, uh, sexuality being awakened hormonally, and then we're delaying marriage uh, so long that it seems like an outdated model. But here's what's important to understand. I talked uh, a few minutes ago about the narrative of sexuality. Yeah. And the narrative of understanding our sexuality is what helps us make sense of the biblical teaching on sexuality, which is why it feels so outdated because we don't have a biblical narrative around sexuality. Um, so some of it is going back to, again, why God created you as a sexual person and God created you as a sexual person, again, to be something that draws you into this need for intimacy, draws you into this desire to have a covenant relationship. I, I, I really haven't met women who say, I'm satisfied by sleeping with man to man to man. No, they're not, because why would you keep doing it if, they're, no. if you're sad? It's like an addiction almost. It yeah. is. Yeah. You're, you're hoping to get something, yeah. but then you're disappointed. Really what you're longing for is that covenant relationship. Mm-hmm. And let's remember that that covenant relationship and even the longing is supposed to point to the fact that you are made for a covenant relationship with God. And that uh, if you are a married woman and you have a covenant relationship with a man, sex is the way that you celebrate that covenant. 
Um, so Timothy Keller says that it's almost like a, a, a covenant renewal ceremony every time a man and a woman have sex. They're doing with their bodies what they have promised to do with their whole lives. Uh, so when you understand the bigger picture of why sexuality is spiritual, why it matters, then you realize that God's word isn't outdated. There are some really unique challenges in terms of what it is to walk out his word in our our daily lives today in today's time. Um, but let's look at the fact that there were struggles thousands of years ago too. I mean, it was like infant mortality and uh, life expectancy and you know, some of the things that we take for granted uh, were, were challenges that people who lived thousands of years ago had that we don't have. Um, so I think you've got to put it in perspective, but also say, yeah, it's true. I mean, one of the greatest battlefields, spiritual battlefields of our day and time in our personal lives is our sexuality. Mm. What would you want to say, or you probably do say to women who just find themselves in relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship? Like, what, what would you say to, to her? Yeah, um, I just talked to a woman uh, in that situation a few days ago, and she um, just recently came to faith in Christ and has this history of man after man after man. Uh, and she just said to me, you know, this is what area in my life I don't think I can change. Mm. And she said, I'm trying, but like, for example, every time I walk into work, I just think in my head I want to have sex with my coworker. And she said, why do I think that? Yeah, I mean, that's just... It's wrong thinking, I know, but I can't stop. Huh. And I said to her, I, th- I think when you have that running through your mind, you, you really don't want sex. But sex to you means that you'll get something else. What is it? And she said, you're right. She's like, I don't want sex, but I want that feeling, even if it's for a short period of time, of somebody telling me I'm beautiful, you know, somebody paying attention to me. Um, so I think we've got to identify first, what are we getting from sexual relationships? Uh, wh- what is the lie I'm believing that if, that if I give myself away, if I give my body, then I will receive this? Hmm. Uh, and until I think we get to that level of asking some of those honest questions, uh, then it's, it is really hard to just white-knuckle it and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. And that having sexual urges and desires is not a bad thing. Like that, like a- acting out of them, uh, acting on them outside of the covenant of marriage is, is where we're not living in the narrative, the biblical narrative for sexuality. But it, we are, as you said, sexual beings. So we are going to have have urges and desires, but what I hear you saying, and I, I totally agree with, is that they're really pointing back to something greater, a desire for being known, a desire mm-hmm. for being chosen, a desire for being, you know, even if we feel like loved in that moment, which that's a, probably another conversation, but we attach sex to love and those there's not an equal sign oftentimes between sex and, and love. No, usually there's not, but in our mind there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot easier to be aware of a physical sexual longing than it is to be aware of the underlying feelings that are prompting that, mm-hmm. like loneliness, depression, fear, um, you know, just a longing to be somebody's. And if we can get to the to the level of being honest with what those underlying longings are, we're in a lot better place to start meeting those in healthy ways. So how, how talk, talk a little bit about that. So you now single woman, you know, maybe 
gosh, late 20s these days. Some I hear some women say, I'm late 20s. I'm not even married. I'm like, girl. <laughs> um, so what what would be practical advice or practical ways that you'd speak into a woman's life who's just really wrestling with the 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 physical temptation and, and the desire for that physical connection and intimacy. Yeah. Um, so one thing I would say is tell me about your relationships. You know, tell me about your friendships with men and women. Uh, tell me about your community. Uh, yeah. What do you What are you involved in? And uh, I was just talking to a woman the other day who's in her forties and single, and she was talking about how her love language is physical touch and how difficult that is for her. And so um, one of the things that she did is she now volunteers like three days a week in hospice. And she works with all these elderly people who need physical touch, mm. meaningful touch. And, you know, she's saying, I'm learning ways to nurture and to touch and to give affection that meet my needs, um, but also our form of ministry. Now, does that take away all desires? No, it doesn't. Right. But it gives a purpose. Um, for saying, again, like what I tell my sons, you were not made to do life alone. And the only answer to that is not marriage, uh, that God has designed us to be in rich relationships. And that takes concerted effort and work in our day and age because people are so mobile. Uh, we're so unplugged from each other. Our conversations and our relationships are rushed instead of uh, spending time together, doing life together. And that's what marriage does, is it forces you to have to do life together. Mm. Um, but I think it's important for singles to say, who am I doing life with? Uh, and are these relationships more than just these temporary kind of holding tanks in my mind? Are these people that I truly am investing in and am inviting to invest in me? Yeah, yeah, that's good. The other thing, as you're talking, kind of obviously on the topic, but... Uh, a little bit um, kind of going in another direction. One thing that keeps going through my mind is how, and you might even talk about this actually in your study, about how we've commoditized mm-hmm. sex. Like how, how, how when, we, when, we, when we think about someone meeting my sexual need, meeting my desire for intimacy, then they've become a commodity to us or we've become a commodity to yeah. other people. Yeah. So this is why, you know, another reason why I think that purity narrative is so limited because what happens is that we grew up in the church again thinking, you know, God's going to give me this great marriage to have sex all the time and then he's going to bless it and it's all going to be good. And we get in marriage with that frame of mind and we find out that sex actually is a lot more about giving Mm. than it is about getting. Mm. Uh, And it takes real effort and a deep level of sacrifice and vulnerability that most of us weren't ever prepared for. Nobody ever said that this is going to be a real journey and there's going to be disappointments and pain along the way. And so when you're, you, even when you get married, when you have the mindset of this is about my satisfaction, you're not ready. Hmm. And you end up being deeply disappointed. And uh, you know a lot of married women just kind of chuck sexuality once they get married because they're like, well, it's not always cracked up to be, you know. But some of it is recognizing that our whole frame of reference of thinking about sexuality has been warped, and uh, and it doesn't matter if you have a wedding ring if you're still viewing sex as something that you is that you you're getting that's a commodity. It's going to be broken. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point too, because if God does have marriage, like our view 
you, our, our view of our sexuality and sex is is important not only in our singleness, but it's huge if God does have marriage for us one day. Yeah. That we have a right, we have a right perspective of of sex and mm-hmm. and the in the biblical narrative, as you say, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, yeah. If you had a final thought for women as it relates to uh, sex for sing, sex and the single gal, what what would you say? Well, um, you know, I would encourage you to get together with a couple of friends and go through the Sex and the Single Girl study because it goes deeper into yes, some of these. Yes, and it's so good, you guys, seriously. And I love the color. It's blue and it's got gold <laughs> on it. It's so great. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think, you know, really asking the question, who owns my sexuality? You know, has, is this something that I really believe that belongs to the Lord? Or is it something that's this weird, awkward, personal thing? And I'm really not sure how to integrate it into my faith. Um, so that I think that's just a good question to start with. Yeah. And then one one more final question for you, actually, for people who maybe uh, something stirred in them as we're having this conversation and they're like, wow, you know what, I I, I don't have a biblical narrative for my sexuality and, and this conversation has just kind of awakened more of um, why God created sexuality and why he created sex. What would you say to people who are like, you know what, I've, like I'm already... I'm a goner. Like I've already yeah. spent years, you know, outside of the biblical narrative of sex and sexuality. Like what, what's, is it possible? Can I even mm-hmm. like restore my in- intimacy with God? What What would you say mm-hmm. to that? Yeah. I'd say join the club. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd say uh, if we're honest, we'd all admit that we've lived outside of that biblical narrative. So I would say like even living within that purity narrative is keeping us away from the biblical truth of our sexuality. Uh, and here's the really cool thing, Lisa, is that God loves to redeem stories. Uh, every single one of us that follow him have a redeemed story. And uh, and you might think that yours is worse than the next person's. It's not. It's just that's what he specializes in. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he he's ready and waiting when we say, God, I want to give this over to you and figure out what that looks like. Um, which is a large reason that our ministry exists. You know, we talk about sexuality first and primarily to connect women to God. Uh, and this is a pain point for a lot of women, but it also is an avenue to help them understand who God is in their lives. Yeah. And just to uh, a reminder, I love that you talked about community earlier. And, and if any of you are, you know, chewing on this conversation, invite a friend into this conversation. Find a find a woman who is, you know, grounded in the Lord, who who you know can be a safe space for you to to go to and and talk to about some of the the sexual struggles, the, the things that you're struggling with, and then mm-hmm. find uh, a woman that you can have a conversation with, and just let some of this stuff out of the, uh, out in the light. Because if we if we keep it hidden, man, it, it will it will wreak havoc for us. It does, and you know we do say bring it to God first, but in reality, um, most of us need a bridge to God. Yes, you know, like He seems out there intimidating. And that's why relationships are so important, because if I confess to you that I str- I'm struggling with something sexual, uh, I'm looking at pornography, or I had an abortion five years ago that I never told anybody about, and when you receive me with, with love and acceptance, and you don't judge me, you just wrap your arms around me and just say, hey, let's walk together in this, you are, you are giving me confidence that I can go to, to God 
and that, hey, if Lisa can love me, yeah. then then maybe God can too. So I think uh, I think a piece of understanding who God is is sharing our hearts with people that represent Him. Yeah, that is yeah, that is so that is so good, and that's why it's so important that we do love one another well. And just reminded of God's word that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like mm-hmm. condemnation, shame, guilt that is that is not God. God, the Holy Spirit convicts because. He wants to get our attention because he has just such a, a much more thriving, abundant life for us, maybe than the the one, you know, the path we're currently on. But mm-hmm. that he, um, that we are the tangible expression of God's love when we don't judge, when we when we create that space where women can come and just feel really safe about sharing their struggles. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, thanks, girl. I think you're amazing. Thanks for all the hard work you're you're doing on this topic. I wish we could sit here and talk for hours. We're actually in a very small, confined space, and it's kind of getting hot in here, it don't you think? It's hot, getting a little yeah. hot. Well, hey, guys, thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Loved hanging out with you today and want to invite you to keep tuning in and make sure make sure you share this podcast with your friends and maybe grab a couple of girlfriends and re-listen to this together and have some rich dialogue. We will look forward to having you tune in next time.